Amen. Hey, as the lights come up, we're going to talk about a Bible passage that would be very shocking to see how relevant it is today. If you're here today for the first time, our church for two months has been studying the book of Zechariah. And if we had had services this morning, we would have spent some time in Zechariah chapter 13. There's a Christmas verse there that I think will serve you well tonight as you celebrate Christmas. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Zechariah 13 verse 7. As you're finding that or you're looking it up on your cell phone, let me ask you a question. What did you do this morning? You didn't have worship? You're here tonight. What did you do this morning? Raise your hand if you did not get out of your PJs before noon. All right, yeah, that's almost all of you. Okay, now, I know some of you watched a movie. How many of you watched a movie this morning? All right, good. That's about half, too. All right, so what did you watch? Now, come on, Merrick, be honest. You watched Christmas Vacation probably this morning. Uh, maybe Miracle on whatever street. And uh, Elf, anybody watch Elf today? Planning on watching it tonight, maybe? I don't know. All right, we watched The Resurrection of Gavin Stone this morning. Really good movie. Watch it this week. You'll thoroughly enjoy it. Christian movie, really powerful. You know, my favorite Christmas movie of all time, it'll show you the level of my depravity, is Christmas Vacation. Now, my favorite scene, there's a lot of favorite scenes. Uh, all of them have to do with either the Christmas tree or the Christmas lights. Uh, at the opening scene, when they're trying to go get that tree, and they're, they're looks like they're traveling for hours and hours, and they finally get out there, and is it Audrey? Is that the girl's name? I can't remember. Her lips are like frozen shut, and then the son says, Dad, where's the chainsaw? <laughs> they forget to bring the chainsaw. Well, that reminds me of another funny story related to that. It's the story of Boudreaux and Thibodeau. They had an ugly tree one year, so their wives got all over them and said, you've got to go find the right tree. Anybody have a real tree? Raise your hands. I think this is coming back. Real trees. Look at that. Most of you. That's awesome. Real trees are making a comeback. So Boudreaux and Thibodeau, uh, it's 30 degrees outside, knee-deep snow. They drive miles out of town. They grab all their equipment, and they start hiking. And the wind is blowing, and the equipment's heavy, and they, they can't find the perfect Christmas tree. They can't come back with an ugly Christmas tree again. So they keep looking. Five hours they look. And finally, Boudreaux looks over at Thibodeau and says, I give up. I can't take this, no, this cold no more. There's all these beautiful trees around us. Let's just cut one down, whether it's decorated or not. <laughs> they were looking for the decorated tree. You know, some of you are going to be looking tonight or tomorrow for the perfect Christmas celebration, the perfect meal, the perfect opportunity to do something. And I just want to let you off the hook. The first Christmas was messy. It's okay if tonight's messy it's okay if tomorrow's not perfect. It's okay if your team doesn't win. It's okay if you don't get what you wanted from your parents or from your friends. It's okay. This message tonight, the message of Christmas and Easter, is a message of grace. It's a message of love that is okay with less. Love that has to stoop. Amen? So let's look at Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. It answers the question of every Christmas. What is Christmas about? Why did Jesus come? That's the question. So here's the answer. Read it out loud with me. It's Zechariah 13, 7. Read it out loud with me. Ready? One, two, three. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, 
and against the man, my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. Now, how is that a Christmas verse? Well, Zechariah, if you've been with us, he's called Jesus the branch because he gives life. He extends the life of God to you. He calls him the king because he's a king like no other. He calls him the stone, both a stone from above and below and a foundation stone. You can build your life on Jesus. And today or this year, you've reached rock bottom. You can find that God is the rock at the bottom. But he also is the rock above, the smiting stone that kills the enemy of God. We also studied last week that Jesus is the slave sold for 30 pieces of silver. Yes, Judas, through blood money, through cheap money, sold out Jesus. And we talked last week, last Sunday, that Jesus is no, he's a free gift, but he's not a cheap gift. Do not treat Jesus like he's cheap. And I don't know what Jesus has cost you this Christmas, but I, I hope, I pray that he's cost you something. All right, today we're going to look at the smitten shepherd. Jesus came to shepherd us, to lay his life down for us, to lead us, to guide us. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 10, 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, what does he do? What does it say on the screen? He lays down his life for his sheep. Can you say this next thing with me? There is no Easter without Christmas. Can you say that? There is no Easter without Christmas. Mom and dad, look at your kids and say that. There is no Easter without Christmas. They're connected. Matter of fact, there's three parts. There's the cradle, then there's the cross, and then there's the crown. There's a second coming, and we celebrate that at Advent as well. Now, the wider context of Zechariah 13, 7 is found in the book of Matthew. Matthew quotes Zechariah 13, 7 at the end of Jesus, at Jesus' life, at the Easter scene. Jesus, Matthew remembers Jesus saying this. Listen, Matthew 26, 31. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. So, so the wider context is when Jesus was crucified, his disciples ran for the hills. Forty years later in 70 AD, we studied this last week, 70 AD, Jesus prophesied, Zechariah prophesied that in 70 AD the Romans would come and level the city. And not from 70 AD to 1950, 1948, was there a nation Israel for almost 2,000 years. He scattered his people, and now they've come back in the 1940s. Now, even with Trump's declaration that Jerusalem's the city, the, the, the capital city, they've received more identity. But this prophecy in the wider context says the rejection of the Jews, the rejection of Jesus by the Jews, would be received with discipline. But I want to narrow it down to focus on three phrases in Zechariah 13.7. We'll focus first on the phrase, Awake, O sword. Then we'll focus on the phrase which is unique to Zechariah. He calls Jesus my associate. And then we will look at the final phrase, strike the shepherd. Okay, you have a handout? Let's talk first about the sword. Here is a prophet saying, over the Messiah will hang a sword. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? You ever heard the phrase, a sword hanging over your head? That comes from a Greek parable. There was a tyrant king of Syracuse by the name of Dionysius. And a pronouncement was made by a flatterer named Diocletus. And he said to Dionysius, he said, you are the happiest man on planet earth. 
And Dionysius says, kings are not happy. And he says, I'm going to show you. So he took Diocletus and he threw a great celebration. Not unlike some of the great thanksgivings you've had. Lots of food. But in this particular celebration, the king dressed the flatterer up in king's clothes. And he set the flatterer in, in the table chair where the king sat. And he hung in the parable, he hung a sword over his head by the hair of a horse. They took the tail hair, the hair off the tail of a horse, and he hung the sword. Ever heard the phrase, uh, by a thin hair, held on by a hair? It comes from this parable as well. And as the night went on, the celebration was grand, but Diocletus is sitting at a chair, living the life of a king, but there is a sword by a hair of a horse hung over his head. Now that is a great term for how Jesus lived. See, you and I, when God created you in your mother's womb, he had in his heart that you would live forever. He knew he had paid the price to have a free gift, a greatest Christmas ever, to give you eternal life as a free gift. You were made to live forever. But Jesus, Jesus took on flesh to die. He's the only man ever born to die. And he had a sword hanging over his head. Listen to this. Baby Jesus was born to die. The cross within the wooden manger, a thorn within each piece of straw, a traitor in each kneeling stranger, a tomb within the cattle stall, swaddling clothes, a linen shroud. And as the star was brightly shining, a shadow of a cross fell on the earth. See, that's point number one. There is a shadow of a cross over the, over the cradle. A shadow of a cross that hangs over Jesus' head. Think Now, we have mangers and stables in our houses that are made of wood. I have one made of olive wood. But that is rare in Jerusalem. In Bethlehem and in Jerusalem, trees are rare. They wouldn't, very unlikely they would have made the manger or the stable out of wood. It would have been a rock. And in this little poem I just read, it points to the birth of Jesus as iconic of his death. He was born in a cave, and he died in a cave. He was placed, his body was placed in a cave. The cradle that he was placed in was most likely a stone manger, a manger made of stone. When his body is entombed in his resurrection tomb, he is placed in a coffin of stone, on a table or in a coffin. He also is wrapped in swaddling clothes. But there will come a day later, 33 years later, will he be enshrouded in a, in a wrappings of burial, a burial cloth. See, everything that Jesus did was, overshad was shadowed by the prophecy of his death. So the question is, why did he have to die? Why did he come? Why did he have to die? Why can there be no Easter without a Christmas? Phrase number two, my associate. Now, literally, this shepherd is called by Zechariah. Literally in Hebrew, it says, the man who is close to me. It's only used here and in Leviticus. That's it. My associate. In other places outside of Scripture, it's used to point to that of a lawyer. An associate who's close, who represents you at a court of law, who represents you in a business dealing. Here, Zachariah says, this shepherd represents us perfectly. How does he represent you? In his death. Now, the representation of one dying for another all through the Old Testament is in the picture of the Lamb. 
And just like there is a shadow of a cross over the cradle, there in that manger, in that stable, there is the sound of a lamb over a lion. There's no lions in the Christmas story. Even though Jesus is called the Lion of Judah, he comes in his first coming as a lamb. Now that sounds all warm and fuzzy, literally warm and fluffy. But that lamb was a lamb to the slaughter. Yes, in the picture of a lamb, you get two pictures coming together. The Passover lamb and the lamb at Yom Kippur. They're coming together. And in this case, the sound of the lamb, this representative, we hear John the Baptist yelling out, yelling loud, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. The reason we make such a big deal at Christmas is there is no other way to have your soul washed than through the blood of the Lamb of Jesus. He's the only one who cleanses your soul. Amen? Listen to Mary had a little lamb in a different way. Mary had a little lamb. He was born on Christmas Day. She laid him in a manger bed to sleep upon the hay. Angels filled the nighttime sky and they began to sing. Shepherds heard them all proclaim the birthday of a king. Wise men saw a blazing star up in the sky that night. They followed it until they found the king of love and light. Mary had a little lamb, but he wasn't hers, you know. He was the very son of God, the one who loves us so. No, the father of this little lamb loved the world so much that he sent his only son to earth so that we could feel his touch. He came to give us joy and peace and take away our sin. So when he knocks on heart's door, be sure to let him in. Why do I love the precious lamb? What can the reason be? The answer is quite plain to see. It's because he first loved me. Amen? Now he came as a lamb before lion. Now let's look at this last phrase, the smitten Shepherd, Yes, the Son of man, God became a man to make men become sons of God. Let me say that again. Jesus becomes the Son of Man so that we might become sons and daughters of God. See, that is what the theologians called a substitute. And that's the final point. This smitten shepherd is your leader by receiving the stripes, the wounds that you should have received. I hear in my head... Isaiah 53. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we esteemed him smitten, stricken of God, and afflicted. He was sword, pierced through for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our well-being was upon him. We all like sheep have gone astray, each to his own way. But he, God the Father, has caused the iniquity of us all to be upon him. Amen? This is the substitute of God for man. I want you to feel the weight of that phrase. The substitute of God for man. Anybody take your place like this? No one else has. The substitute of God for man. Now let me end by talking about the shepherds. Within the shepherds, this smitten shepherd, we get so much great imagery. The shepherds were the outcasts of society. They were the poor. They were the gypsies. They went where the sheep went. They were religious outcasts because their job made them religiously unclean. They could not participate in the religious festivals because they had jobs that made them dirty. So like 
truck drivers or shift workers who can't be at religious celebrations because of their jobs, like gypsies who don't stay in one place. They are, they are not just religious outcasts, but almost social outcasts. But there's such a great truth in that. If you feel on the outs of your family, if you feel like you're poor and lowly, you're in good company because the first audience of this shepherd king was, was these shepherds. Shepherds came to see the shepherd king. But I want to give you this insight. This is huge. Ready? These angels that come to sing over these shepherds find these shepherds working at night. Now that gives us pause because shepherds usually don't work at night. The reason they're working at night is in about three months from their day, the lambs that they are guarding are going to be Passover lambs. So, so think about it this way. Eight miles away from Bethlehem is Jerusalem. In just three or four months, 200,000 Passover lambs are going to be slaughtered. 200,000 lambs who by law of the Hebrew, by law of the Old Testament, have to be newborn and without blemish. So put the two together. Three or four months before, tens of thousands of lambs are born almost every day. Now, 200,000 lambs can't fit in Jerusalem proper. It's not much bigger than uh, than, a, than a small town, really, than any, any town like Beaumont. 200,000 animals don't fit in such a small place. So in the suburbs, Jer Jerusalem has a suburb called Bethlehem. It's eight miles away. They would have housed these sheep that are the Paschal or the Passover sheep. And they're being born like crazy. And they can't be, they can't be blemished, so they have to be protected. There can't be a wolf that can get them. So these shepherds are out there at night. Because these are Passover lambs. And as they're being born, just a few, not eight miles away in Jerusalem, just on the next hillside, if you ever go to Bethlehem, it's so small. Just on the next hillside, Jesus is being born. Maybe from here to Boyce Haven's buildings. That's how far, how close the shepherd's field is to where Jesus is born. In that short little distance, as these baby lambs are being born in their field, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is being born over there. Isn't that great? So no, the, le the, the shadow of the cross is over the cradle. The Lamb cries out before the lion. And this substitute, God for man, is what we celebrate at Christmas. I encourage you to think through that, to celebrate that, Mom and Dad. Let that be your prayers tonight. Let that be the thought of the gift of Christmas. Amen? Let's bring the lights down low, and let's sing Silent Night. I'm going to light the final Christmas Eve candle. It's called the Christ candle. It's red. You think red represents Santa Claus. It does not. From the first Christmas, it's represented the blood of the Lamb.